when noted judge Ladoris Cordell joins us, and she's with us now for the hour to sound off on a number of trending legal topics, including a lawsuit against a venture capital fund that supports black women-owned businesses. Listen very carefully to this now. A lawsuit's been filed against this venture capital fund, which we'll get Judge Cordell to break down for us. But once again, it's a capital fund that supports black women-owned businesses. The lawsuit, watch this, was filed by the same guy behind the successful Supreme Court attack on affirmative action. His name is Edward Blum. And in this hour, uh, you'll hear from George Cordell about what he's up to now and what he hopes to accomplish with this lawsuit. And that's not it. He's also the same activist behind uh, other cases suing law firms around the country. Uh, And there's a diversity angle to that as well. So he was successful, finally, on... Uh, doing away with um, affirmative action at the college level, given this Supreme Court decision of uh, some weeks ago. Now he's going after <laughs> this, 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 this firm uh, that supports black women-owned businesses, and he's suing other law firms um, around the issue of DE&I. So he is, he is, um, he's a tsunami unto himself uh, when it comes to attacking anything that has... Uh, diversity again equity inclusion uh, connected to it and so i'm glad to have a real expert in this hour uh judge Ladoris cordell on with us to talk about all of these cases a bit about uh, who this edward blum character is uh and i as we move through this hour, i want to get her take on um a couple of things i've seen her post lately about what she would do in the trump case if she were the lawyer if she were the, the judge rather not the lawyer the judge um she's a retired judge now but if she were overseeing uh, this Trump mess, how would she move? What would she be doing? We'll get her take on that as well. Uh, Judge LaDoris Cordell, always an honor to have you on this program. How are you today? I'm doing fine. I'm glad to be with you. Glad to have you back. As I said, I've been looking for this hour, as I always do when you come on, because I'm going to learn something. Uh, and I got my pen and paper handy uh, to start taking notes on the <laughs> stuff that, that I need to be uh, fully aware of. Uh, let me just let me just start our conversation with this, and 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 we'll just lay the groundwork, and when we come forward, we'll 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 start to unpack this. So this 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 case that I mentioned a moment ago, this lawsuit specifically rather um, against this venture capital fund that supports black <laughs> women-owned businesses. Just give, take me just give me two or three minutes about what this is, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So we should start with the basics, and the basics is that the U.S. Supreme Court recently ruled that affirmative action programs cannot be reconciled with the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause, and basically it's outlawed affirmative action when it comes to admissions in colleges and universities. However, there was one sentence, only one sentence, in response to a question during oral arguments asked by Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, there's one sentence that says, nothing prohibits universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected the applicant's life. So race is still a factor. It's just how it is raised by applicants when they write their essays. Now, that applied only to universities and colleges and admissions. However, this lawsuit that you're talking about and the others that have been filed deal with something completely different. So Mr. Blum filed a lawsuit against the venture capital group Fearless Fund over grants that it awards to black female entrepreneurs. And his argument is that this program amounts to, and I quote, express an international, excuse me, express an intentional racial discrimination in the making of contracts. So what does contracts have to do with any of this? 
Well, this contract he's arguing about or talking about comes from the Civil Rights Act of 1866. The Civil Rights Act was enacted right after the Civil War, and the purpose of the Civil Rights Act was intended to protect the civil rights of African descent, of people of African descent born in or brought to the United States. And when this act was passed by the Senate, then racist President Andrew Johnson vetoed it. And the Senate overrode the veto. And this was the very first time that the U.S. Congress ever overrode a presidential veto. And all of this was to give more rights to African Americans. And there's one clause in the Civil Rights Act of 1866 that says basically that any citizen has the same right that a white citizen has to make and enforce contracts. So Mr. Blum has taken that and used it in reverse discrimination, saying that what the Fearless Fund is doing and what these law firms are doing and what other uh, businesses are doing is violating this contracts clause in the Civil Rights Act of 1866. He's basically turning it on its head and using it against African Americans and to promote the issues for white people. All right. Uh, brilliantly done. And that's why she is an amazing uh, now retired jurist. She knows how to do these things uh, and keep it tight and make it right. So now you understand uh, what we're talking about. That's that the, the foundation has been laid. So, you know, I'm ready to ready to start my interrogation, which I will commence when we come forward. With Judge Ladores Cordell on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. May 1st daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Indeed you are, and uh, you're really listening to Tavis Smiley in dialogue with Judge Ladoris Cordell as we talk about this uh, character named Edward Blum and all that he is doing to upend um, any advancement <laughs> that black folk uh, uh, seem to, uh, to make uh, through struggle in this country. And uh, no better person to sort of unpack uh, this for us than, than Judge Cordell. So, Judge Cordell, you, you, were, you were breaking out this uh, Civil Rights uh, Act of, of 1866 and how this is the entry point for the drama, for, the, for, for, for all the, the nonsense that Edward Blum is advancing right about now. So you're the expert here. I'm just a lowly talk show host. Tell me why this particular uh, act, this measure, this clause is his entry point and whether or not that entry point um, is, is, is legitimate. Will the court see it as a legitimate entry point? Okay, very good question, Tavis. First of all, the affirmative action decision, decision regarding admissions based, was based on the 14th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment applies to government action. So the University of North Carolina and Harvard receive federal money, so therefore they come under the purview of government action. When you look at workplaces, private industry, that clause would not apply. So he had to find somewhere else, another way of getting to the workplace for private business. And that's where the, um, the Civil Rights Act of 1866 comes in and its clause regarding contracts. So he's utilizing this. It is creative. This man is an evil genius. This man mm. is a lawyer. He was a finance. He's not a lawyer. He was a financier, a lot of money. And he has basically said over the next two or three years, he intends to bring more lawsuits to shut down anything that private uh, parties and businesses will do 
that give any kind of a, a step up to women, to the disabled, and to people of color. So here's your question, though, was, you know, how receptive is the Supreme Court going to be to this? Mm-hmm. Well, let's first of all talk about this. We're not talking about the Supreme Court. We're talking about the sixth supermajority. They're the ones, the six, they're conservatives who have just upended everything. So how willing are they going to be to look at this? And my conclusion is very willing. Why do I say that? Mm. In the affirmative action case, Justice Neil Gorsuch, one of the six, wrote a concurring opinion. A concurring opinion is not the main one, but it's those they're saying, I agree, but I want to add something. In his concurring opinion, he made it crystal clear that in his view, The courts rule that an educational institution may never discriminate based on race now applies with equal force to employers. So I think there is a very high probability that the supermajority six will say the exact same thing once a case comes forward. And Mr. Blum is going to do this. He is bringing these cases forward. Fearless Fund, and now he's looked at two major international law firms who have diversity efforts. They're trying to bring more people of color into the legal profession. Today, only 5% of all lawyers in the country are African-American, and very few, even fewer, are partners in law firms. So these two law firms have fellowships. They have programs that are geared to boosting that, to saying to people of color, Come join us, and we'll even offer you fellowships to get you in the door. Mr. Blum is set on shutting all of that down. So if he has his way, then there will be no on-ramp anywhere in this country, uh, in any field of human endeavor, for diversity programs, for for financing, for anything, essentially, uh, if you happen to be a person of color. He will shut down all of those on-ramps. If he's successful. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That is correct. And it's very troubling. And this means everywhere. And he has made it clear. He's saying, I want to make sure that straight white men and the non-disabled get the attention they should get. And we want to make sure they're eligible for every single thing that this DEI is doing. And he basically wants to shut down DEI. And the hope is, of course, that these businesses don't take the easy way out and say, well, he's headed for it, so let's just get rid of them now. And that's the hope that they, yeah. they do not do that. Yeah. Um, I just want to add one other thing, sure, that there sure. are also now um, complaints that have been filed. So another member of Trump's team is Stephen Miller, who mm-hmm. is just a man filled with hate. Mm-hmm. And he is asking the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to investigate the hiring practices aimed at increasing minority representation at a long list of companies, including Kellogg's, Hershey and Alaska Airlines. He's already tried it at Starbucks and a federal judge in Washington threw out his, the lawsuit and saying, this is ridiculous. You're wasting my time. Starbucks can do what it wants in trying to diversify its hires. But as I said, you know, if they work their way up to the Supreme Court, we're looking at big trouble here. Mm. This is not the way it seems to me to run a multiracial democracy. That's another conversation. We'll put a pin in that for the moment. This is not the way to advance multiracial democracy. There's no debate about that, it seems to me. And yet and yet as a legal issue, um, this thing, this this argument, these arguments seem to have life. And I'm trying to I'm trying to square these two things. And and this necessarily 
<clears throat> excuse me, this is not necessarily the role of the Supreme Court. I'm just raising this in conversation with you. I'm trying to juxtapose, trying to square these two things. How, on the one hand, we recognize that we live in and we're trying to advance this multiracial democracy. And yet, on the legal front, you have all of these cases that are that, that are aimed at doing anything and everything they can to shut down the advancement, the progression of a multiracial democracy. Can you, If that question makes sense, can you square those two things with me? Sure, absolutely. The majority of Americans, I don't care what color, what ethnicity, want to have a multiracial democracy that's fair to all. It is just a handful of people who now see a window of opportunity to move to shut all of that down. So this is very, very few people who are utilizing the supermajority to do what they want. So the, and we have a Supreme Court that is completely out of step, again, the six, mm-hmm. not the three liberals who are out of step and who are doing what they want to do because that's what they want and because they can. So that is the big danger here. So um, the, the issue becomes really looking at, and, and who's in the lead here on the Supreme Court? Clarence Thomas. Mm-hmm. This, this is, they're listening to him, who not only hates himself for being black, he hates everything about anything that has to do with promoting people um, and opening up doors to make sure people who have been disadvantaged have, have some sort of an opening and, you know, a leg up. This is, and he is now, he is now the leader on the sixth. They're looking to him. Shocking, given that he was the replacement for Thurgood Marshall. Yeah, but as you well know, at this point, though, he is the longest serving uh, justice on the court, on the bench. So mm-hmm. um, they're looking at him for a lot of reasons. Um, let me just, for those who are curious about, I don't mean to put you on the spot here. I assume you can give me some detail on this. But for those who are more curious about Edward Blum, Ed Blum, like who, who, what, what, what Negro did something to Ed Blum that he, that he ain't never got over? Like what, what animates? Who is this guy? And what's what's animating him? And not not that not that somebody black had to do anything to you. That was a tongue in cheek, uh, obviously comment. Uh, he's a white male, so nobody had to do anything to him. It just it, it could just be born of arrogance and entitlement. But tell me more about Ed Blum and what animates him to be going after affirmative action, going after diversity, equity, and inclusion, going after these law firms and their diversity programs, going after this program, Fearless Fund, that funds black women-owned businesses. What is Ed Blum's problem? So Ed Blum is a financier who I think, number one, has nothing better to do with his time and his money. But I, I, I believe that he sees that affirmative action as being, in a sense, quotas. And uh, he comes from, I think, a background where um, quotas were used, for example, uh, very much against uh, people of Jewish uh, heritage. And Jews in this country were extremely discriminated against at Ivy League institutions like Harvard and Yale weren't even allowed in. And then when they were allowed in, were subjected to quotas. And so there's a history, and it's really the divide that has really divided black folks and Jews who were together in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. worked together, and, and it, it was the divide. So you have African Americans saying, no, 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 we support affirmative action, it doesn't have to, we're, and not quotas. But you have certain people on the other side saying, no, if it, you know, it could lead to quotas, and it's just really not going to be beneficial. He may be one of those individuals. Um, and he's very smart because what does he do for cover? He gets Asian Americans to form this alliance to sue, to shut down affirmative action at Harvard and at UNC and then at all these kinds. He's using them as a front, and it's sad that they're allowing themselves to be used. Blum has made it clear 
he has just basically said that if you're not, you have anything that blocks straight white men from having access to fellowships and, and all these kinds of programs like the Freedom Fund, then I want to shut it down. I want to make sure either you open it up to everybody or we shut it down. And it's very sad because he's ignoring the fact that this country was founded and built based on racism. And these laws that were passed, these major amendments to the Constitution, the big three, were all passed to give to African-Americans rights that we never had. So they are race-based to begin with, and he is trying to erase it, and the six on the Supreme Court are buying into it. You said something a moment ago that um, I want to I want to follow up on. I want to be very careful, and uh, you are a jurist, uh, retired now, but you, you have been careful in these spaces. So I don't need to give you advice on how, how we're going to walk gingerly through this terrain that we're about to tap through. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deal with this. And we're going to deal with it because you raised it, and it's been on my mind anyway, so let's just, let's, just, let's just go for it. Edward Blum, who we're talking about right now, who's behind all of these cases against law firms, against black women, uh, was successful in getting the Supreme Court to do away with affirmative action. Uh, he is a white male, but he is a Jewish white male. Why do I raise that? Because, again, Judge Cordell said a moment ago brilliantly that in our fight for civil rights, um, for the most part, um, the Jewish community has always been in line with us. Uh, one of Dr. King's dearest friends who marched with him in many marches, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, um, just, uh, just, uh, you know, an amazing guy. Harry Belafonte raised all kind of money inside the Jewish community for Dr. King and those who were doing the work in the movement. I think most of you sort of know that history. So here you have one particular Jewish American who has made it his business to do anything and everything he can to destroy any path forward for black people to my mind. I have not seen the Jewish community come out writ large and chin check him. Why do I raise that? Because anytime Minister Louis Farrakhan says something that that they find cringeworthy or anti-Semitic, then the Jewish community ask every black leader and 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 and, and, and radio host they know <laughs> uh, to 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 denounce Minister Farrakhan publicly. They don't allow these things to get saved without asking black leaders to denounce Minister Farrakhan. It ain't Minister Farrakhan alone. We just talked about Jamie Foxx the other day. It's Jamie Foxx. It's, what's my boy, the comedian, the other one, young guy, young guy, uh, MTV, Nick Cannon, Nick Cannon. It, it, it's Nick Cannon. I mean, there's a long list. It's, it, it, it's Kyrie Irving. It's Kanye West. The minute they say anything, they want us to denounce these African Americans. But here's one Jewish guy who is wreaking havoc all over this country. So let me be very clear. Some of my best friends are Jews. That ain't my point. I'm not denouncing, demeaning the Jewish community. I'm asking uh, whether or not, George Cordell, Judge Cordell, you've said anything, because I have not, whether the Jewish community is chin-checking him for going after African Americans in this way. Uh, well, first let me say that my partner is Jewish. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a great deal of respect for the trauma, the history that Jews have gone through. Um, so to answer your question, let me just give you an analysis here. When Ward Connerly, a black man, tried to shut down affirmative action and did in California, um, I didn't hear a whole lot of you know black folks in the black community rising up and putting him down. Mm -hmm. But let's get back to your question because it's a very important one. Sure. The ACLU, 
which is, uh, I look at it as a predominantly Jewish organization, um, and its history is to fight for civil rights. They have been very outspoken Mm -hmm. against what Mr. Blum is doing. And I don't see the Jewish community, just like I don't see the black community, as monolithic. There are Jews who are speaking out, uh, and there need to be, in my view, we need to have, yeah, there could be more people speaking out, and there should be. But there are folks who come back who are of a Jewish heritage, who are Jewish, who are fighting back against Mr. Blum, and they're doing it in the courtrooms. So um, I don't know, you know, how aware Jews are, in fact, of mm-hmm. Mr. Blum. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because, you know, this man, when I talk about you with you, about him on the radio, I think there are a lot of folks who are like, what? Who? Mm-hmm. This guy? He's mm-hmm. stealth. He's stealth. And that's why I appreciate you having a platform to put this man's name out there, because even the general media, you, know, you see his name mentioned occasionally. But why isn't he front and center when they are talking about people who are trying to do these things to dismantle affirmative action? I want to believe uh, we'll discuss this more when we come forward. I want to believe uh, that my Jewish friends, uh, my very powerful Jewish friends who are aware that Ed Blum is a Texas Jew uh, and, and behind all of this, I want to believe that if they knew this, or when they come to know this, that they will start to call him out in the same way that Judge Cordell is, in the same way that I am, in the same way that many others are, increasingly for being the one person. He's a one-man wrecking crew, as I said earlier. He's like a a, a legal tsunami uh, and determined to do anything and everything he can to cut off any path of progress for African-American people. But again, just think just recently about all the brouhaha. That Jamie Foxx story is everywhere. The Nick Cannon story was everywhere. We know Kanye West story was everywhere. But nobody's talking about Ed Blum in this particular case. And he's destroying the lives of black folk all across this country, cutting off these paths of progress. I digress for now. More when we come forward with Judge Ladores Cordell. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. There's a bit of breaking news here um, that I want to just uh, just uh, tee up just uh, just a bit here. I don't have too much time to really get into the details of this. But um, a plane has gone down. I'm trying to pull the story up. I had it here. just... just uh, Skipped on me right quick, so just give me 30 seconds here uh, to find this story. Um, you recall the mercenary um, that was um, in, in Russia, um, I guess uh, I guess a couple, couple months ago now, uh, the mercenary in uh, Russia who was uh, attempting to try to start a military coup, as it were, uh, in Russia uh, to... Uh, uh, potentially overthrow Mr. Putin. Uh, a plane has gone down, and he is uh, uh, the the uh, the Wagner mercenary leader uh, was on board this plane. He's the leader of the Wagner group, essentially. Uh, this plane went down in Russia. Uh, he is listed on the passenger list. Uh, we are told that all ten persons on the plane are dead. Uh, and again, uh, Mr. Uh, Pergozin, who's the leader of the founder of the Wagner mercenary group, uh, who staged this uh, brief mutiny against Russia's military leadership back in June, uh, again, is listed as a 
passenger on that plane. And I'm going to leave it right there because that's all I know right now. Um, they have not confirmed uh, whether his body has, has yet been found, but he was listed as a passenger on this plane. I raise that for all the obvious reasons. We were discussing earlier on today's program in our second hour, I believe, uh, the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Had a spirited conversation about that. Uh, and if you missed that, check out the podcast of that conversation. We, we, we were talking about Russia earlier in today's program, and the name uh, Vladimir Putin, of course, came up, uh, obviously, in that conversation. But here's a guy uh, who attempted um, a brief coup, if you will, inside of Russia, uh, and now a plane has gone down, and we are told that he was on the passenger on the passenger roster. I do not mean to laugh, and I am not laughing. I am uh, I'm not saying a whole lot about it, except for you see the same thing I see. That all of a sudden this plane goes down and he's on the passenger list after attempting a coup against one Vladimir Putin. I'm going to leave that right where it is. As my big mama would say, we're going to leave that lay where the good Lord done flung it. You can do the math yourself, uh, the politics yourself. Uh, there'll be all kinds of news about this, I'm sure, the rest of the day and the next few days. But what happened to this plane? Uh, how did it go down? Was he on the plane? Uh, but he's pretty much been out of sight um, since this uh, attempted coup. Uh, but now, uh, if these reports uh, are accurate, he was a passenger on this plane. Uh, and they've confirmed that all 10 persons are dead. Again, his body has not been, um, uh, there, there's no report at least uh, that his body has been found. Uh, but that plane has gone down and apparently he uh, was on it or certainly listed as a passenger on the plane. So there you have it. You'll be hearing a lot more about that on this station and all kinds of news outlets. Uh, there'll be all kinds of commentary. Uh, conspiracy theorists and others will have their say. Uh, but for now, you know at least uh, the details, uh, at least as much as I know, uh, at, at this hour. More to come. That said, uh, in case you've just tuned in, we're in a very uh, rich conversation, as always, with Judge Ladores Cordell, uh, and now a retired jurist about this guy named Ed Blum uh, and all the, the, the damage that he is doing uh, when it comes to DE&I. Uh, once again, in case you've just tuned in, he's filed a lawsuit against Fearless Fund, an Atlanta-based venture capital fund that supports black women-owned small businesses. He wants to stop uh, black women or anybody else getting money uh, because they happen to be uh, of African descent. He's also suing law, law firms. Uh, and trying to stop them from offering fellowships for diverse candidates to get more African-Americans in the pipeline uh, to become lawyers. You heard George Cordell say only 5% of lawyers in this country happen to be black. So he's trying to shut that down. No more black lawyers. He's shutting that down. He's the same guy behind the affirmative action uh, case uh, that we saw recently. The Supreme Court ruled on uh, ending affirmative action as we know it uh, in colleges and universities. And so this guy, as I said earlier, is a one-man wrecking crew. His name is Ed Blum, and we've been talking about him in this hour. Judge Cordell, before I move on to some other things, I'm fascinated to get to your take on what you would do if you were presiding in this Trump case. I saw a couple of your posts, and I want to interrogate you on that uh, in a few moments here. But um, Ed Blum has already been successful. I'm putting successful in air quotes for those who believe the way he believes and sees the world the way he sees it already successful to getting affirmative action wiped out. Uh, and now we are we see all the other efforts that he's engaged in. Um, what, what's the end game here? Uh, how successful can he be uh, advancing these arguments legally, even as we say publicly that we're trying to, uh, you know, uh, to build a multiracial democracy? How successful can he be beyond the case we already know about on affirmative action? 
if we did not have the current makeup of the Supreme Court, he wouldn't be successful at all from mm-hmm. the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It is only because the six are there that he has been able to do this. And one big case that he funded was the against the Voting Rights Act. And because of his sponsored litigation, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. So don't just stop with affirmative action. This man has undone the Voting Rights Act of 1964, mm-hmm. so of 65. So um, as long as we have the Supreme Court there, he knows that if he can get the litigation there, that he's going to get decisions on his behalf. Now, I don't understand why people aren't picketing uh, outside his home, mm-hmm. why people aren't finding out if he's a financier, where he's investing his money, and then people calling for boycotts of companies that take his money. Why isn't any of this happening? So my hope is that if he wants to do all this stuff, he doesn't get to do it behind the curtain, that he is fully exposed and that people who care about these issues, who care about them and want things to uh, want a democracy that is fair to all, then they need to be focusing on this man and not let him quietly go about doing this business. Yep. What do you make of the fact, and um, clearly he's doing this with the support of the six that you already referenced a few times in this conversation, so he's not doing it alone, so to speak, but he is the driving force behind it. Uh, in this democracy, what do you make of the fact that one person, whether it's Ed Blum doing what he's doing, or even a United States senator holding up important legislation in the U.S. Senate. Um, what do you make of the fact that in this democracy, one person could wield this much clout, this much power, to impact the lives of millions of other fellow citizens? I find it appalling. Uh, I find it clearly not within the thinking of those who think created the democracy. Uh, that being said, we have to be created. We, the people, think outside the box. Is how do we address this? How do we make changes within the legislature, within our judiciary, within the whole legal system to say this is not how democracy is supposed to work? Uh, and I don't know. I don't. I wish I had solutions for you, Tavis, right yeah, now. It's yeah. something I'm going to think about, and if I have ideas, I'll write about them or talk to you about them on your show. So, so how does? Uh, and I'm grateful for that. How, how does? How does the? Uh, broadly speaking, I'm not asking for a detailed legal brief, but broadly speaking, how does the Fearless Fund, uh, on behalf of these sisters who they're supporting with their small businesses, how do they respond? How do these law firms who have these diverse uh, these uh, fellowships for diverse uh, for diverse candidates? How do they respond? broadly speaking i think first they have to say this is not what they're doing is not quote-unquote affirmative action that this is clearly ensuring that there is a diversified workforce and so that's one second is i think they really need to look at this attack using the civil rights act of 1866 nobody says that because he's using utilizing it as a basis for this litigation that that's legally sound mm-hmm. so I think there's going to be direct attack on that yeah. um, and and just generally speaking it's just going to be look uh, workplaces should be encouraged to diversify and that's what they're doing they're not it's not reverse discrimination. We're not excluding right. anybody. We're including, which is why we have to do this. When we come forward, I want to get your take on how you would deal with Trump if you were the trial judge uh, in one of these criminal cases, number one. Number two, I do have one final question about um, uh, this uh, Ed Blum situation. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on television or radio for that matter. I've got great lawyers who host shows uh, on my home station here in L.A., KBLA Talk 1580, and other great lawyers on shows all across the country who I listen to. So I don't, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I know this terminology of strict constructionist and that's what many of these conservatives are on the u.s supreme court with regard to this law 
1866. How will they read that clause? I want an answer to that, and then we'll discuss a few other things about Donald Trump when we come forward with Judge Ladores Cordell. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Sounds Sounds different. This is Tavis Smiley. Judge Cordell, one quick question about um, this, uh, one final quick question about this uh, Ed Blum mess. So you, you, you detailed for us brilliantly and beautifully, as you always do, and I love you for this, this Civil Rights uh, Act of 1866, the, 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 the clause specifically that Ed Blum is using to animate all these lawsuits um, that he is bringing uh, against anybody and everybody doing anything on behalf of black people. Um, uh, to that notion of their strict constructionist read of the Constitution and these writings, what's your sense of how those six will read the clause that he is using? It's such a good question. And and I think the, the, the word really is more originalism. They have said, okay. basically, we're going to look to the original intent okay. of those who, who you know, pass this legislation. Well, the original intent, it's quite clear. And even by the language, and I'm going to give you just a quote. Part of this uh, act says they want to give full and, e- I'm quoting now, full and equal benefit of all laws and proceedings for the security of person and property as is enjoyed by white citizens. Mm. Okay? They also go, it adds, people who are denied these rights on account of race or previous enslavement are guilty of a misdemeanor, and they have a fine, they could be imprisoned for up to a year. So the original intent was to protect those of African descent who were brought here and African descent who were born here to give them equal protections under the law. So if they look at originalism, they would throw out Mr. Blum's suit, saying that's not what the founders looked at at all. They were not interested in elevating the rights of white citizens. It was to bring up the rights to secure the rights of black folks who had been enslaved. So under originalism, but watch. You watch what happens. Oh, yeah. They're, they I won't even you. turn to originalism. <laughs> they're going to turn to something else entirely. No, I was going to say, that, that's, that's the irony of this story, that their, 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 their whole mantra is uh, original intent. That's what they argue all the time, original intent. Mm-hmm. And now, in this instance, if they read it, uh, as you just laid out, if they read it uh, under the guise of original intent, then the, the outcome can only be to throw these cases out. So just brace yourself for the way they're going to twist this thing. Uh, in the in the months to come um, to uh, to accommodate these lawsuits that Mr. Blum is filing. I digress on that point. When we come forward in our remaining moments with Judge Ladores Cordell, we will close with this. How, Judge Cordell, uh, would you rule? How would you be handling uh, Donald Trump if you were the trial judge on one of these uh, criminal cases? Pick one. There, 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 there are a number to choose from, four and counting in terms of indictments, but I'm curious as to how she uh, would be uh, doing things on the bench if she were in charge of one of these cases. We'll get her response to that in our remaining moments when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory, of, expand ideas? Your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Her book is one of the best books I've read over the last few years. I always highly recommend it to uh, friends and uh and others, uh, your friends, if you're listening right now. The book is called Her Honor, My Life on the Bench, What Works, What's Broken, and How to Change It. Again, Her Honor is the name of the book. 
my life on the bench, what works, what's broken, and how to change it, written by our guest in this hour, Judge LaDoris Cordell. Highly recommend that book, Her Honor. It's a great read, as you can tell already, in case this is your first time hearing her, nobody quite breaks it down the way she does, and I'm always honored and delighted to have her on this program. Once again, I highly recommend that book, Her Honor. Uh, You will not be disappointed. I've got three minutes left, Judge Cordell. I give them all three to you, and here's my question, my exit question. If you were the trial judge, In any of the four criminal cases against Donald Trump, how would you sanction him for his deliberate statements, intimidating witnesses, potential jurors, and obstructing a fair trial? Take it away. A trial judge, Tavis, has to maintain control of her courtroom, and that means her orders have to be respected. That means respected by litigants and also by the lawyers. Uh, So it's important when someone violates a court order that there be immediate consequences. It's absolutely clear to me that Trump has violated court orders by interfering with the administration of justice, by intimidating witnesses and jurors. If you come after me, I'll come after you and other things that he said. So what should be the repercussions? People have said, no, you can't put him in jail because the Secret Service, blah, blah, blah. And my response is, need to be immediate consequences. I'd give him an opportunity to be heard. And if I determined that he indeed had violated my order, then I would order him to jail. But it would be home jail, meaning pick a home, one of his houses. (laughs) He will be confined there. It would be swept for all electronic devices. I'd make an order prohibiting him from traveling outside of the home. I would have an electronic monitor put on his ankle. He could meet with his lawyers in person. They could use their electronic devices, but they would be prohibited from allowing him to use them at all. Um, I would then, if he tried to violate the order, if he wanted to leave his house and actually walked out, then he would go to jail jail instead of home jail. And finally, I want to add, I think this man is suffering from a communication disorder called logorrhea, L-O-G-O. R-R-H-E-A, and that is someone who has a constant need to talk frequently incoherently. I believe that is Mm -hmm. his issue, and that's yet another reason why he should be prohibited from going to rallies, from going on social media. So that's what I would do, Mm -hmm. and then if he didn't want to be in home jail, I'd put him in jail jail. What that means is you well know, you've already teed it up, that that would mean that he couldn't campaign. Tonight he's 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 not appearing tonight. On stage at the Republican debate, we already know that. But if you if you can find him to home jail, he couldn't crisscross the country and campaign for the nomination. Well, that's his problem because he created the behavior. It's completely in his control. So uh, that's what I would do with him. And I'd also issue a gag order on all lawyers for both sides. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about this case, you can talk about it all you want, but you will do it in the courtroom, not outside of the courtroom. Should these Donald Trump cases be televised? I absolutely believe, well, we know, we, I believe the Georgia case will be, and federal courts don't allow uh, televised proceedings, and they need to, to change that rule, number one, and before they change it, then they need to make an exception. Yes, the public needs to see how the system works. There's a black woman judge presiding in one of the criminal federal cases. She was a former public defender. She knows how to take care of business. And he'll be meeting her next Friday to deal with the violation of her order. So it'll be very interesting to see what she does. But, yes, I absolutely support televising this. 
Yeah, that's my worst nightmare, encountering a black woman in a bench, on a bench in a black robe. Uh, we'll see. We will see uh, how he behaves or, or, or misbehaves, to your point, next Friday when he encounters that. Uh, that ain't something he's ever had to deal with. So we'll see how he navigates that situation. Her book, once again, is called Her Honor, My Life on the Bench, What Works, What's Broken, How to Change It. She is Judge Ladores Cordell. Judge Cordell, good to have you back on. We will do it again. I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Shannon. All the best.